Hey, good morning, Action Church. How's everybody doing here at Winter Park? We good? Okay, good. The front row's feeling good. Come on, Oviedo, Sanford, South Orlando, everybody watching online, man. Welcome to Action Church. We're so excited to, to be with you today. And if we haven't met, my name is Tyler. I'm an associate pastor here, my family and I. Um, and we've been serving uh, here at the church since we launched the church, and it's been a family uh, kind of mission, right? And so I, I love the opportunity to speak uh, on a weekend. And before I even get into the message, I think it's important to just take a moment uh, and, and show some Honor. I think it's important for us to do that as people. I want to honor God for the house that he's building here at Action Church. I want to honor our lead pastor, Pastor Justin. I know that without God, this church doesn't exist. And without Pastor Justin, this opportunity for me today doesn't exist. Can we put our hands together and show some honor there? I'm grateful. And listen, it's not just empty words. I really am grateful. My family uh, and I, my wife and I, our oldest son uh, goes into middle school uh, in the fall, right? In August, my son starts middle school, which is a crazy kind of season. Some of you, I can see some smiles. Some of you have been there before. Uh, so you're telling me that it's gonna be okay, but it doesn't help it feel like it's gonna be okay right now, right? There's a lot of hormones. Testosterone is brewing at my home right now. Uh, and it's just a scary, he's going to public middle school. It's just kind of a scary thing to think about, right? And what gives me a lot of peace, what gives me a lot of assurance is, is knowing the fact that my wife and I aren't raising our kid alone, that there is a church like Action Church that he's connected to, that he's engaged with. He's going to start coming to City Group. There's going to be leaders. There's going to be friends that are engaged in the details of his life. And I know that that same opportunity is available to all of you. It's why we highlight things called small groups. There's opportunities. While there's this, a church in action here, it's, it's a big church. It still desperately desires to be engaged in the details of your life. So don't miss out on an opportunity today as you're leaving to jump online or to talk to somebody about getting connected uh, to a small group. I promise you, you won't you won't regret it. Well, hey, we're, we're in church this morning, correct? It, it, this is church. We all got into our cars and came to the right place, right? Yeah, you feel free. Yes, this is church. Great, great, great. I, I just want to make sure we're all on the same uh, same page right now. We're, we're not sneaking somebody into brunch just yet or lunch just yet. It's church, and church is important because we need to be open here. We need to be transparent here. J just kind of open up the book and show you behind the curtain, so to speak, because I, I want to speak from a moment of being transparent because I have a problem. I have a big, big issue. I, I can't sit still. Like, I can't, I can't sit still. Uh, on a Saturday, which was yesterday morning, if it's, if it's like 8.30 and my family is still in bed and we're not doing anything, I just get restless. I get angry. I start cleaning things just that don't even need to be clean. Like, there needs to be some motion in my life. In fact, just last weekend, we're on vacation for a couple of days, spending some time with my family. Uh, we're just kind of getting ready to go to the beach. And it is 9 o'clock on vacation, and I'm irritated that we're not going somewhere. I'm not sure where we need to go. It's vacation, right? It's vacation suggests that you don't do anything. And I'm upset that we're not doing anything, right? Like we need to move. We need to go. I need some motion to my life, right? And, and I know, I know that my desire to move and my desire to not sit still, it's an issue. I get it. It's an issue. And I know I'm not the only one that, that struggles with this issue because I, I was reading a story 
uh, from a, a 1967, there was a, a task management, uh, a task man, time management task force. A time management task force was assembled in 1967. Come on, we love a good task force here in America, but we had a time management task force. And, uh, and here's what they did. They delivered a report to the U.S. Senate. And, and here's what they thought. Here's what this report was, was saying. These time management experts believed that the speed of technology, the development of satellites, the development of robotics, like that was going to present a major issue in the American workplace in the years to come. What was the problem? These time management experts were convinced that we were gonna have too much free time. Right, these experts, here's what they concluded. This is a quote from their study. They said by 1985, people would have to choose between only working 22 hours a week or only 27 weeks a year or retiring at the age of 38. These, these were findings that were reported to the U.S. Senate. Like this in 1967 was a code red issue. They nailed it, right? They, they, they absolutely nailed it. It may be why we don't have a lot of time management experts today, but... But you can kind of see where this is going, right? 50 years later, here we find ourselves at a place where technology doesn't give us more free time. Technology allows us to be more productive, right? We're addicted to speed. We're addicted to productivity with hurry. In fact, the average American right now works 47 hours a week. We don't retire until we're 67, right? This addiction of, of hurry, this addiction to, to productivity, this addiction to speed, it actually has, has a name now. We've diagnosed it. In 2021, this actually has a, a clinical term. It's called hurry sickness. Here's what hurry sickness is defined as. A continuous struggle to accomplish more things and participate in more events in less time. Come on, you've been there? Come on, you've got five different calendar apps on your phone right now to manage squeezing more things into less time. We all fight that tension. My name is Tyler. Hi, Tyler. And I suffer from hurry sickness, right? <laughs> and I know today, I know today that I'm talking to many other members of the Hurry Sickness Club. And I know that not everybody believes me when I say that. I can, I can feel it. I can see it on your face. So I'm just going to walk through some symptoms here that, that you can choose to check off or not check off. We're going to diagnose ourselves and realize that we have issues with this hurry sickness. Here's the first kind of scenario I want to play out. And again, you just choose to check the box if it applies to you or not, just right there in your seat, just mentally in your head. Have you ever, have you ever laid on the horn because the car in front of you didn't hit the gas pedal fast enough when the light turned green. Now, hold on, hold on. I'm not talking about the courtesy toot toot, right? There, there, is, there is a toot toot that's like, hey, no, I got you. I'm scrolling too, no worries. All good, we're, we're in this together. We're all good. The toot toot, totally fine. Hurry sickness lays on the full on, you're an idiot blast. Like, I mean, it's a angry, right? You can tell in the tone of the horn. It's angry, it's angry. You have hurry sickness. Right, number two, number two, have you ever, have you ever swerved into the right lane passing somebody on the 417 who is driving too slow in the left lane? The left lane's for speed, the right lane's for slow. And as you pass them, as you pass them, you glance over your shoulder and you give them what I call the dad eyes, right? The eyes that say, I'm both disappointed and mad at you. You know what I mean? Right? I mean, you just give them like the... 
<laughs> You've been there. You've been there, right? Number three. Number three. Again, you just check the box if it applies to you or not. Number three. How about if you've ever been to Publix or Wawa? There's a line as you're checking out. And all of a sudden, there's this really nice cashier that says, hey, I'm open here right here on, uh, on aisle seven. And what happens? It's a mad free-for-all cage match dash to get to be the first one in the new aisle. I mean, people are dumping stuff on the floor trying to trip you up. There's brass knuckles, nunchucks. It is no, it's no joke. It's no joke. Hurry sickness, man. Our pace, our pace is out of control. And, and here's the thing that's been convicting me lately about all of this is if I compare the pace of my life to the pace of Jesus's life, there's not a whole lot of similarities. See, Jesus was, was never rushed. Jesus never seemed overwhelmed. And, and, and here's the thing that's crazy about the life of Jesus. Jesus had this enormous mission to accomplish, and he only had a short amount of time to accomplish it in. You may not know this or not, but Jesus only did ministry for three years of his earthly life. He only fit, he fit all of the ministry that we read about into, in the Bible into three short years. And can you imagine the demand on Jesus's time as he started healing people and teaching and building and making disciples? I mean, the a demand on his time was enormous, yet he never stopped moving at God's pace. He never felt the temptation to get buy into hurry sickness. You see, rush and hurry, it's not from God. Rush and hurry is the world's pace. Dare I say, for the sake of our conversation today, it's the devil's pace. See, influential psychiatrist Carl Jung, he said this. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. See, busyness and our obsession with busyness, hurriedness and our obsession with hurriedness, it's not just a scheduling problem. It's a, it's a heart problem. See, everything that we see, everything that we experience in the physical, it's a reflection of the spiritual. And so today's message isn't about time management strategies. Today's message isn't about slowing down and having more fun in life and enjoying the things that are in front of you, which those are all important things to do. Today's message is a spiritual message. We wanna look at the spiritual cost that our hurried lifestyle is costing us. There's a, a spiritual cost to this hurry sickness and this lifestyle of busyness. See, a few months ago, I was in a moment where I was trying to squeeze God into my day. You maybe have been there before. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just me, but I had a day where I had to get to the office to just start crunching my production, my, my to-do list. I woke up a little late. My alarm went off, and I just hit snooze a couple too many times, but because I'm a pastor, I needed to fit God in, right, with the, the verse of the day. I had to pray through some stuff. I had to get God's answers and God's direction and solution for the things that I needed to accomplish, and I was running through my to-do list saying, God, I need you here. God, I need an answer for this. God, I need direction for this. God, I need your wisdom for this. And in the middle of me checking off my checklist and my boxes, the Spirit of God interrupted me. He said, hey, be still and know. See, what God was suggesting to me in that moment with the, that, that phrase, it just kind of froze. I just stopped. I didn't have anything else to like say. And I just thought, I just reflected. And God was reminding me in that moment that your, your, your hurriness, your, your busyness, your willingness and want, wanting to just resolve all of these problems and just get my answers, it's keeping you from really connecting with me. It's keeping you from intimacy with me. All, of your do, all you're doing is you're wanting my answers. You're not really connecting with me. I just need you to stop for just a second. Sit still and know, right? My, my hurried life, my busyness, it was costing me spiritually. 
Have you been there before? Have you experienced that before, that we just wanna go through the motions to get God's blessing and we completely miss out on connecting with him? That's where I was. I was there. Be still, be still and know. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Right? Maybe you've seen it on a, on a Christian bumper sticker. It's a great bumper sticker saying, a great bumper sticker slogan. Maybe you've seen somebody post a meme with be still and know. Maybe you've seen it on like one of those devotional calendars, be still and know. Right? Maybe you've heard somebody say it to you after you've poured out your heart to them and it's just been a really difficult season. They say, hey, man, just, you know, man, just be still and know. Right? At this point in time in our lives, if we've grown up in church, it's almost a Christian cliche. But that phrase, it actually comes from the Bible. It's a verse in Psalm 46, 10. And it simply says this. God says, be still and know that I am God. The message paraphrase says it this way. It says, step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Step out of the traffic. I, I love that phrasing uh, because I, I think about the game Frogger. Do you remember that arcade game Frogger where you're the frog and you're hopping, trying not to get run over by the semi. They're trying not to get eaten by the alligator. You're just kind of trying to hop forward. Then you hop back and you hop forward, right? Our lives can feel like that where we're sitting in a traffic lane and cars are flying in front of and behind us. And God is saying, hey, just get out of the street. What are you doing in the traffic? Like, just get out of the street. Just just stop for a second and connect. Be still and know. Be still and know. You may not know this, but the, the Old Testament, which we just read, the book of Psalms, it was originally written in Hebrew. And there's some language that, that doesn't always translate perfectly when we translate the Bible from, from Hebrew to English. There, there's gaps in understanding. And I think it's important for us to go back to the original words to really know what God is really suggesting, what God is really saying to his people. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna learn a little bit of Hebrew today. Uh, and so you're gonna leave a little bilingual, uh, maybe trilingual, I'm not sure where you're at, but we're gonna learn some Hebrew. The first word is still, right? That's the word we read, be still. The Hebrew word is rafa. Let's say that together, one, two, three. Rafa, great, crushed it. Here's what it means, to relax. It means to sink down. Everybody do something with me on the count of three. Let's just take a deep breath in, ready? One, two, three. Now exhale. You see how your shoulders drop? You see how you just let it like relax? You just let it go? That's what this word is suggesting, to let it, let it drop, just to, to be quiet for a second. Just exhale. There's another part of that word that I think means, it's almost like a, a, what I call a, a parent definition, a, a parent interpretation, a parent application. And here's what the word means. Stop, enough, like drop it, right? It, and that word is, it's a word, it's a word that's referring to a fight, meaning that you just got to stop fighting. Like just set down the weapons, walk away, like, like drop your hands and walk away. That's what this word still is referring to. Let, let me say it this way. What the word is really saying is stop striving. Like stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop staying up at night, stressing out over it, trying to wonder to think and, and strategize how you're gonna solve it. Just, just stop, be still so that you can know. No is the second word there. Here's what the, the, the no word is in Hebrew. It's yada, let's say that together. One, two, three, yada, yada. And here's what that word means. It means to know from experience to recognize, to distinguish. 
You see, there's a knowing of God that only comes from experiencing God. Let me, let me say it like this. There's a difference between being interested in God and knowing God, right? When, when we know God, when we know God, we, we begin to, as this word says, we begin to experience him. We begin to recognize his voice above our own thoughts. We begin to distinguish his ways above our own, right? That only comes from experiencing a place of being still with him. And here's what I think is, is important for us to note is, is God's telling his people to be both things. Be still and know. It's not be still and not know. And it's not just know and not be still. It's be still and know. The both and, it, it, they, they go together. You can't have one without the other, right? It's like peanut butter and jelly. I know there's some sick people out there that like to eat just a peanut butter sandwich, but it's physically and scientifically impossible to swallow down a bite of just a peanut butter sandwich. Your mouth does not produce enough saliva glands to get it down, right? It's peanut butter and jelly, right? It's socks and shoes. I, I right now literally am the only family member in my family that wears socks and shoes. I pick my kids up uh, from school and my, my car smells like a men's locker room, right? It's socks and shoes, you, you've got to do both. You've got to do both. It's cookies and milk. You've got to have milk. Come on, man. You go to Crumble Cookie, you get yourself a nice cookie. It's going to dry the mouth out unless you got some milk to dip that bad boy in. And here's the thing. This is free. If you're eating anything less than a double stuffed Oreo, you are not living right. Not living right. It's milk. It's milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. Right? Be still. Be still and know. We've got to be still so that we can know. See, the more hurried we are, the less still we are. And now you can see why the enemy wants to disrupt our lives with hurry so much. Because if he can get us to focus on hurry, we're never gonna be still. He's gonna constantly come at us, right? Our hurried pace is costing us a spiritual price. So here's what I wanna take a look at because here's what being still is. Being still is just all about pushing pause on our lives, sitting in God's presence, waiting on God to talk, to speak, to direct, to guide before we even speak. It's about leaning in and listening. That's what I wanna look at. I wanna look at what a lifestyle of stillness helps us know. The Bible's very clear, be still and know. If we're still, it's gonna lead to us knowing some things. And I wanna point out some things that's gonna help us uh, to know. And here's the first thing. Stillness is gonna help us know how to see. It's gonna help us know how to see. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this. It says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. See, this verse is, is talking about a different way of seeing things. There's a way that we all see things as humans through human eyes, but there's a way of seeing things that, that goes above that. There's a divine, there's a heavenly way of seeing things. And a hurried pace can, can be a lot like the cell phone that we all have in our hands. It can take our focus, it can take our attention and the issues and the, the stress and the, the problems that we're trying to solve get all of our focus and all of our attention. It's all that we see. And there's all kinds of things happening out here. There's things that our decisions that we make here are gonna impact as a ripple effect out here. And we never think about that because this is all we see. What that verse is saying is you've got to see the full picture. Have you been there before? Come on, have you made decisions in a moment that were fueled by pressure, 
that were fueled by panic. And now as you're removed from that situation, you look back and you maybe have some things we call regrets. You have some thoughts like, man, I would have, would have done that different. Would have maybe said that different. Come on, right now I know there's some of you at one of our locations that's got toilet paper still in your garage from a year and a half ago when you bought a semi full of toilet paper, right? Well, let's not laugh too hard because there's others of you right now that have a year supply of Chick-fil-A sauce in your pantry. There's not gonna be a sauce shortage on my watch. Not happening today. We don't see things clearly. We don't see things correctly all the time. But you know what? God does. God sees the whole picture the entire time. We have to connect with him. We have to be still so that we can see. Stillness. It helps us know the right way to see. You know, uh, in a previous life, I was a JV girls basketball coach uh, at a high school that I taught at. And uh, I know right now the NBA playoffs are on and maybe some of you are watching the NBA playoffs and it's like the, 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 the premier uh, uh, level of, 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 of basketball, right? It doesn't get better than the NBA playoffs. It's the best of the best. JV girls basketball is nothing like that. JV girls basketball is all the way down on this side of the spectrum, right about here. Right, the average score was like 11 to six. Uh, I think the baseball team scored more runs on average than we scored in a basketball game. But I can remember coaching uh, th those, those years of coaching. And I can remember whenever the score was like, well, the game got intense in the fourth quarter, right? It's 30 seconds left, the score is like six to five and, and the players are, are just kind of like getting a little nervous. The five uh, people, the five fans in the stands are cheering their guts out. I mean, come on, let's go, let's go. And uh, I mean, in those moments, in those moments, something always happened in JV girls basketball. They would start making poor choices. They start like forgetting how to run plays that we practice a thousand times in practice. They forgot where to go in positioning. They turn the ball over. They just start like running out of bounds. Like, it was just like, what are we doing out there? And in those moments, I had to turn to the ref and I had to go, hey, time out, time out, get over here, right? And the team would come over. I'd break out the whiteboard and i just start, what are we doing? What are you guys doing? Like, hey, exhale, we're gonna get through this, right? And I think we need the same practice in our own lives. That when life is getting crazy and the fans are getting anxious and things are happening and the fourth quarter's winding down, we just gotta be able to say, hey, time out. I just need a time out here. I need to regroup with God so that I can see things the right way. That time out was all about regaining the right focus so that we could see the game the right way, that we've got, we've got to be still so that we can see our hurried pace. It's costing us a spiritual price. Second thing that stillness helps us know, it helps us know how to hear. It helps us know how to hear. John 10, 27 says this, Jesus says, my own sheep will hear my voice and I know each one and they will follow me. See, if we desire to, to know God, we need to create space to hear from God. And here's what I know about my own relationships in life is, is I don't really know somebody until I hear them, until I listen to them. Right? Think about it if you're married, if you're dating somebody, if you're going on these date nights, it's a good rhythm to have in your marriage, right? If your date night is full of event after event after event after event, it's gonna be a fun night. But guess what? You didn't really connect with that individual. You made some great memories, but you didn't really hear them. 
You didn't really listen to them. You didn't really know anything about them that you didn't know before the night started. You see, some of the best, some of the best date nights of my marriage have been simple dinners where Kelly is just talking to me and I'm listening and I'm hearing her express the things that she loves. I'm hearing her express the things that she's passionate about, the things that she values. I'm hearing how she, what she loves about our marriage. I'm hearing what she doesn't love about our marriage, right? And, and I'm listening and I'm getting better as a husband. I'm getting better as a dad. I'm getting better as a leader for our family because I'm, I'm listening. You know what else listening helps us do? It helps us feel, it helps me understand, it helps me sense. Right? I can begin to sense what, 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 what Kelly needs from me. I can begin to feel where she's frustrated. I can, I can sense those things. The same thing happens to us spiritually. When we, when we make time for God, we begin to hear him. We begin to feel him. We begin to sense what he wants us to do, how we can be better Christ followers, how we can be better uh, in our workplace, how we can be better for our family. We, we hear him in ways that we wouldn't hear him because intimacy, intimacy requires stillness. Really hearing from God, it requires stillness. Here's what I know, that it's hard to listen when you're not still, when you're moving and you're bouncing. You know, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, maybe you know him, uh, maybe you've been on the Winter Park boat tour uh, and seen his house from the boat. But, but Fred Rogers said this, I read this in an interview he did. He, he said he had a practice from time to time that he would do, and it was drive in silence, kind of a freaky thing to think about, right? And he said, this was why. He said, if the longer an individual can sit in total silence is a reflection of how healthy they are mentally and spiritually. Because when we drive in silence, the radio's off. That's when you're forced to be, face the things you really don't like about yourself. That's when you're forced to face the things you're really scared of. That's when you're forced to hear God lead you to do the things that maybe you don't really want to do. See, driving in silence, it, it, it allows us to, to hear. And I, I thought it was a practical, a great practical piece of homework for us this week as we look away to, to apply this message to our lives. I mean, what if we just got a little weird this week and just one direction of your commute to work, you just drove in silence and you just wanted to, to listen, to hear God, to see what he was gonna say, to confront the things that you need to confront, to make the changes that you need to make, to, to hear God lead you to take the steps that you need to, lay, to, to take. What if you just sat in silence uh, for just a period of time to, to see what would happen? Because here's what I can tell you. God will speak. The question is, will you listen, right? We've got to be still so that we can hear. At a hurried pace, it's, it's costing us a spiritual price. The last thing stillness is gonna help us know is stillness is gonna help us know how to change. It's gonna help us know how to change. John 15, four says this, Jesus says, remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. See, stillness, it deepens our relationship with God. I mean, think about it. If we're seeing God and we're hearing God, we know pretty clearly what he wants us to do to change. Right? Mother Teresa said this. She said, we all must take the time to be silent and to contemplate, especially those who live in big cities like London and New York, where everything moves so fast. I always begin my prayer in silence, for it's in the silence the heart of God speaks. God is a friend of silence. We need to listen to God because it's not what we say about but what he says to us and through us that matters. You see, prayer feeds the soul. 
As blood is to the body, prayer is to the soul, and it brings you closer to God. It gives you a clean and pure heart. A clean heart can see God, can speak to God, and can see the love of others in God. And God, he's, he's a friend of silence. And here's what I, I want you to know today is who you are with God is so much more important than what you do for God. See, in my line of work, I gotta constantly remind myself that it's not what I do for God that matters most. It's who I am with God. It's the moments of being still with Him. It's the moments of really leaning into intimacy with Him. It's leaning into my relationship with Him that matters. So we've gotta sit and be still so we can change and produce fruit. At a hurried pace, it's, it's costing us a spiritual price. I wanna give a picture here as we get ready to close and it's with this chair. I know some of you were looking at this chair wondering what it was doing out here. Maybe we, we missed a cue, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's got a purpose. We're gonna move it here front and center. It's the chair's time to shine. But here, here's the deal. This, this verse in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. There's, there's some context to that verse that I think is important for us to know today, which means that when God first said those words to his people, I wanna talk about that setting because that setting was a war zone. That setting was a battlefield. See, what had happened was King Hezekiah was king of Judah and the Assyrians uh, were, were, were Judah's biggest enemy at the time. In fact, it was the world's biggest enemy at the time. Assyria were, were nasty, nasty, nasty individuals. Uh, you can read all about some of the crazy things they were doing, but, but we see the context of, of this verse is King Hezekiah and the people of Judah are standing on top of the wall of the city. And off into the distance, there's over 180,000 Assyrian troops preparing to ransack and destroy the city. The king of Assyria sends his right-hand man to go deliver a message to Judah. The right-hand man shows up. He's standing at the, at the foot of the, the wall of the city and he's shouting up to the people. He's saying, tomorrow is the day you all die and there's nothing you can do about it. So don't tell me that your God is gonna show up because guess what? The 15 nations that we destroyed on our way to you said the same thing. And guess what their God didn't do? Stop us. Tomorrow you're done. Tomorrow you're dead. There's nothing you can do about it. Sleep tight and he leaves. There's a moment right there where, where King Hezekiah has a choice that maybe you and I have felt we've had to make as well. Is he gonna take the bait? Is he gonna get caught up in worry caught up in panic? Is he gonna pick up his swords? Is he gonna pick up his ways? Is he gonna pick up his methods and begin to strategize? Or is he gonna be still and no? Luckily for us, King Hezekiah made the right choice. He chose to, to be still and to know. And instead of strategizing, because what King Hezekiah could have done is he could have called the elders together and strategized a peace treaty to offer Assyria. He could have called together the elders and, and strategized, maybe let's just pay them off. Let's just, let's just put everything, all of our resources and pay them off. Or let's just strategize uh, tomorrow how we can fight them in a way that, that, that we can sneak up on them. Or maybe we'll just in the dark of night sneak everybody out of the city and just run. Maybe we can outrun them. He didn't do any of those things. He called the elders together for a prayer meeting. They prayed and they worshiped, and it was during that time that the prophet Isaiah delivered the words we just read to be still and to know that tonight, tonight as you worship and as you pray, your God is gonna show up. And right around that same time, an angel from the Lord went into the Assyrian camp, camp and killed 185,000 troops 
The next day, the Assyrians woke up that were left and alive, saw bodies and corpses all over the place, and they ran. The war was won without ever lifting a sword because Hezekiah chose to be still and to know. I think it's important to know that because it's a picture of our lives. Has your life ever felt like a war zone? Now, I know we don't have real Assyrians looking down our back, but but we felt like that our enemies are pressing in on us on all sides. We're surrounded. We don't have any hope. We don't have any answers. And like Hezekiah, we're, we're caught into that balancing act. Are we gonna trust God or am I gonna come up with my own methods and my own ways? And it is in that scene, it's in that setting that God speaks these words. And he's speaking those same words to us today, to be still and to know. What God is saying is just stop for a minute, stop planning, stop strategizing and just take, take a seat, rest in my presence and you'll know you'll know what to do. This is the posture that says, God, I could pick up my sword. God, I could pick up my methods. I could pick up my ways, but I'm gonna choose to set those down and I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna be still until I know, right? I I love uh, Lake Eola downtown. It's one of my, downtown's one of my favorite places to to go and and to hang out. And Lake Eola is just a really cool park because there's there's this this lake in the middle of the city. It's symbolically almost like the heart of our city. So it's just a cool, fun place for me to go and just kind of walk around and and pray and uh, and just kind of like spend time down there. a couple of months ago, I was doing my deal, doing my rhythm, walking, to, walking around Lake Eola. And for some reason, this day, I just felt like I needed to sit. So I sat on a bench. I just started to look around. And I started to see things that I'd never seen really before. Like clearly, I started to see brokenness. I started to see needs. I started to see pain. I started to see hurt. I started to see a city that was desperately in need of Jesus. I took out my AirPods, I sat there and I was watching all this stuff. And then I started to overhear people's conversations. I started to hear them talk about the pain that they were going through, the confusion that they were living in. I started to hear things that started to move my heart. It started to, 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 to push me in a place that was just like, man, this is a city and it, it, it needs some help. It needs us to, to, to be there for them, right? It pushed me to feel things that I'd never felt before. And it was this posture that created it. It was this posture that allowed it. And I think the same is for our lives. When life is getting crazy, let's sit, let's be still so that we can know. See, stillness, it it helps us see things. Stillness helps us hear and and feel things. Stillness, it it helps us know how to change. Here's what I can tell you. You'll, You'll never know until you're still. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads here at Winter Park at Oviedo, Sanford, South Orlando? Come on, everybody watching online. We've talked a lot about knowing God. We've talked a lot about experiencing the the things that, that God wants us to experience, but we can never do those things until we have relationship with God. And I believe there's people here in all of our auditoriums Man, this is the moment. This is the reason God brought you to church today. He's speaking to you right now, pulling you in to a place of having relationship with him. See, what I know about you is the same thing I know about myself. We're not perfect. We've made mistakes. We're what the Bible calls sinners, and we're in need of a savior because we can't fix ourselves. 
that God knows that about you. He knows that about me. And he loves us so much. He wants relationship with us so much so that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. See, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. He died a sinner's death, the death that you and I deserved. And he rose again three days later, overcoming death. When he overcame death, he made a way back to God the Father. You see, Jesus is the only way to God. The Bible tells us very clearly that if we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is our Lord, which means we surrender control to him. He's Lord of our life. We give him control. And we confess him to be Lord and Savior. Savior meaning he was our substitute. He died in our place. But that's when we'll be saved. If that's you today and you know that you need to start relationship with God today, I wanna pray with you in just a minute because there's others of you here today that you've made a decision like that in the past. You've prayed a prayer like that. You've, you've had what you would call a relationship with God at some point in time in your life, but life has just kind of happened. You've kind of pulled away from that. But today's the day you want to recommit. Today's the day you want to reconnect with God. I wanna pray with you as well. So if you would right now, if you wanna start with God for the first time or you wanna restart with God, just raise your hand right now as a sign of surrender saying, God, today is a day that I need to know you, like, like really know you in relationship. Come on, right here at Winter Park, at South, at Sanford, at Oviedo, if you're watching online right there in your living room, just raise your hand as a sign of surrender saying, God, today is my day. It's the best decision you're ever gonna make. Amazing. Why don't you put your hands down for me? I want you just to pray this prayer right there from your seat that, that I pray out loud. Say something like this. Just say, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you, God, for this moment, the moment that I know you're real. God, I acknowledge today that I'm not perfect. I need saving. Jesus, you are my savior. I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I give you control. Come and have your way. God, I pray today I leave different because of this decision. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Everybody said amen, amen. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Let's really celebrate the decisions that we just made.